Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning. My name is Mezen. Um, for those of you that don't know me, and I'm quite, um, I have quite an urgency about this word on my heart. So if there are nerves, it's because of the urgency and not really because of the speaking. Um, I'm, there's something that God has been stirring in my heart and I really trust that, that he will speak to our hearts and that our hearts will be responsive to what he wants to say. I'm just going to pray for us, Shem. I think we've been praying a lot, but it's good. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, God. And as um, Johannes just said, Lord, that you are faithful to complete the work that you've started in our hearts. God, this morning we choose to humble ourselves before you. God, we choose to open our hearts to receive from you. We pray, Jesus, that you'll come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the, in the picture that you see there, I want you to, to think that that's a European tourist that's come to South Africa to come and explore the Kruger Park. And um, he thinks that he's being vigilant, exploring the Kruger Park with his big camera, like that. Or is he being ignorant? I think for a European tourist, he thinks that taking pictures of, of wild animals is fantastic, and his first-hand experience of the wild has been on something like, um, what's it, BBC, Animal Planet, Animal, Animal Channel, and he's seen the, the power and the majesty of, of lions and how, how beautiful they are and how, how powerful they are. that he thought he'd come and take a few pictures of his own. But you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's what, what the problem is with ignorance, is we can think that we're being vigilant, but if we don't know or have an understanding, a full understanding of the dangers of the wild, then we'll, think, we'll, we'll be thinking that we are being vigilant where we're actually being ignorant. So just have that picture at the, at the back of your mind what is the first thing that you, you would say to this person exploring the wild like that? You're welcome to participate. You can like raise your hand. What is something that you think you'd say to them? Uh, watch it. <laughs> Be careful. Hey? You don't see the mountain. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Get a guide with a gun. Get in your car. Get in your car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take off your hoodie. <laughs> Open your eyes. Hey. So there are a lot of warnings that we who live here and have a better understanding of the dangers of the Kruger Park and wild animals have that we'd be able to warn him with that he doesn't have an understanding of. And with that in mind, this fall from verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face downcast? 
If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the portion that I want to focus on this morning is, is where God warns Cain. He speaks to him. And says to him, sin is crouching at your door, but its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Similarly to the way all of us said to the European tourist, hey, watch out, it's dangerous, get back in your car, don't go out there. If we look at 1 Peter 5, just as a recap, Tabang was preaching on the nature of sin last week. So if you missed it, you can just catch up on YouTube. But the things that he highlighted was, one, that sin is hidden, it's hunting, it's active, it's hungry, and it's progressive. Sin is not passive, like, you, like a hole that you fall into. Sin is a predator. And we see that again in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, where it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. And if you think of (laughs) sin as a lion, predators are hungry. Predators seek food, (laughs) seek someone to devour, seek something to devour. And when it's done, it's not satisfied Because tomorrow it will be hungry again. It's progressive. It's continuously seeking, continuously on the hunt, continuously seeking to destroy and to kill. We were watching, somebody sent me a a video of um, Matt Chandler. I don't know if you know who Matt Chandler is. He's a senior pastor of a very big church in America, I think. And... um, his church was going through a bit of disciplinary actions with him. Um, there was an accusation. A lady came to, to him in the service one day and said to him, the way that you've been talking to my friend on Instagram, I feel is inappropriate. And Matt went to his elders immediately and said, this is the accusation that's been brought. What do you say? And his elders were very vigilant and took it seriously And there was an external um, investigation, and they looked at the whole conversation between him and this woman. Matt is a married man, and he's a senior pastor of this church, as I said. And they thoroughly looked through this conversation and, and found that there was nothing of a sexual nature or a romantic nature. But the frequency and familiarity was inappropriate for a person in his position because the Bible calls us as leaders to a higher standard. More is required of us. And in that, the elders and the church decided their, their final, final decision was that Matt was to take an absence of leave where he could be restored under guidance um, and where the church could process and be protected in the time that he was vulnerable and not okay to serve them. So this is a disciplinary action, and he was repentant throughout the process, and he was very cooperative throughout the process, but it really convicted my heart. And Andra and I had such a big conversation about this, and I said, sure. If God calls us as leaders to a higher standard, 
And he's been put on a, an absence of leave for the familiarity and frequency of a conversation that was inappropriate for a person in his position. What is that higher standard that God is calling me to? What is that higher standard that God requires of me? And him and I had a big, Andre and I had a big conversation while Azal was in hospital over lunch just waiting for the therapist to get done. And we were just talking and, and just sharing what are the areas that, are, that we are prone to fall in? Or what are the areas that are dangerous for us to fall in? What are the weaknesses in our lives and the, and the, the warnings that we can already share with one another? And I was just saying that so often, for me, an unmet need causes me to seek fulfillment of that need in a different place. And Andre was saying that it's similar for him, so like he wants rest when he's tired and he doesn't rest, then he tends to be aggressive or he tends to be caught off. Um, like blunt, like shutting people down, overruling, like... And I got sort of upset in that moment because I was like, but I can't give you rest. I can't always provide rest for you. So, like, that's... I feel like that's sort of an unfair expectation that you have. Like, wow, like, you want me to provide rest because if you don't have rest, then it justifies if you're being rude. And I realized... And he just said, oh, he's so grateful for the Holy Spirit convicting me in that moment because he didn't know how he was going to tell me. I said to him, but shoo, actually, we're always going to have unmet needs. We're always going to have areas that are not fulfilled. We're always going to have desires that are not met. But we do have self-control. Self-control is thankfully a fruit of the Spirit, so it's something that the Holy Spirit works in us. It's not in our own strength. But we can be vigilant in that moment and say, I don't have rest. God, help me. The area that I, that I easily fall, or the, the, the great need that I have, is to have deep, meaningful conversations, to connect on an emotional level, which is something that Andre doesn't often, <laughs> doesn't often meet. So my default would be to look for that deep, meaningful conversation or connection in a different place. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you'll always have this need. But you need to practice self-control. Rule over sin. When we were praying for um, Awaken, I had a vision of how I preached the venue that we gather in in the evenings. And um, it was just a cement floor. And the floor is full of old blood and fat. And it reminded me of a, an altar, just like where a lot of animal sacrifices had taken place, just... You know, like in the Old Testament where people brought their sin offerings and their dedication, similar to Cain and Abel, brought their offerings to God, sacrificed it on the altar, and their sins were forgiven. And it was, there was a woman standing on this altar, on the cement floor, and I could just see her from the back, and she had a white linen dress on, and she looked fine from the back. But when she turned around, I could just see this emptiness in her eyes. Like, you know that scream mask, that, like those empty, hollow, um, black eyes? And I just perceived that she's so tired. And then at the back, on the right, I just saw like a picture of this grim reaper. And then these words from Genesis 4 resounded so loudly in my ears. Sin is crouching at your door. 
and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God encourages us to rule over sin, or sin will rule over us inevitably. Similarly, I was sitting in the, in the coffee shop at the hospital still, and I had such an urgency over lunch. I saw a vision of um, us standing on the beach, and the waters of the sea were being drawn in. And I was in awe of the waters being drawn in, knowing that this means that there's a tsunami coming, which is very destructive, right? You shouldn't be waiting on the beach. But I was so in awe of the waters being drawn in that I was standing watching it. And I felt God saying to me, Maison, don't be in awe of what's being drawn in. You have time. You need to run for higher ground. And I think often that's how we treat sin or temptation. We stand in awe and look at it and watch it. It has not yet devoured me. We're actually in that moment. We should be aware that it's coming. Its desire is for death and destruction. I should be running for higher ground. At intercession the other evening, while we were praying, um, I had a picture, just lots of wolves coming, and they were quite fierce and aggressive and wanting to, to bite. And I just saw a picture of a foot literally just crushing its head and it becoming slime like nothing. And I was just reminded again of the action that's required on our part when it comes to sin. If sin is a predator and God has enabled us to rule over it, we should. But the problem is we underestimate the power of sin. We so often think of sin as something passive like a hole that you fall into where the scripture is so, so, so clear. <laughs> While I was preparing, Henny was saying, Mason, there's too many scriptures. You've got to just, nobody's going to remember all those scriptures. But if you read your Bible, there are hundreds of examples of sin being active, of the devil roaring like a lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Last week, Monday, um, Isaiah's been home now for two weeks after his operation. Um, and I'm sorry for those that don't know, Azal is our son. He's seven years old and he had a major operation um, a few weeks ago. And um, he has a brain injury, so there's a lot of high risk and medical complications. But he was at home and he's really been struggling with like seizure-like activity, like he, and the doctors have done, the neurologists have done lots of scans and tests and things, and nobody is figuring out why he's having these seizures in his sleep or this seizure-like activity. And the frequency and intensity has just been increasing. And on Monday night, he had a really bad night, and he had two, bad, two big seizures. And um, it was my turn to, to sleep with him. And, um, and it really, really overwhelmed me. My, my background is nursing, so I unfortunately don't have the, the ignorance is bliss factor that, oh, it's just a seizure, it doesn't do anything. I, I know too little to be calm, and I know too much <laughs> to be calm. <laughs> so it's like this in-between space. And um, I was really overwhelmed with fear, because his heartbeat is going down, and I was like, God, what if he has a big seizure and he dies? Because it's possible 
And I was just with him, and my heart was beating really fast and really, really scared. And I lay down, and as I closed my eyes, I just saw, like, these little red spots crawling up his bed. And I knew, like, it's God saying that it's fear, and I need to resist fear, and I need to rebuke fear. But I was overwhelmed, and I didn't. I just was like, okay, God, you say this, okay, I'm going to try sleep. And on Tuesday morning at the office meeting, he called me Trana Senior now. <laughs> on Tuesday morning in the office meeting, we had our meeting, and I just shared about what happened on Monday night. And Rochelle was like, can we just stop and just pray for Mason's child? <laughs> like, okay. And everybody prayed. And I was feeling so, um, so weak and tired. I didn't sleep. And, um, and everybody just prayed. And I just felt so strengthened by everybody coming around and just praying for, for God's mercy on Azar's life, for healing for him and for strength for us and for peace. And I just had strength in that moment just to rebuke the devil and just say, I rebuke you, fear. I will not submit to you. I resist you, fear. And in that moment, I felt so much peace. And Azar slept from 9 o'clock till 11 o'clock that morning without any seizures, which hadn't happened in six months. And since then, his seizure-like activity has decreased significantly. But it's not to say that there will always be evident outcomes or evident results when we pray in the moment, but that fear was gone. And there's so many actions that God requires of us when it comes to fear. A response is required. And if we don't rule over sin, it will rule over us. I don't know if I'm saying it loudly or sternly or strongly enough or with sufficient warning. Sin is progressive. Its desire is to destroy you and to kill you. If you don't rule over sin, it will rule over you. If I don't rule over sin, it will rule over me. It's progressive. I'm just going to read from, from James for us quickly. Wisdom from above. Sorry, it's not up there, but it's James 3 from verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And this is the ESV, it's not even amplified. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, There will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And with that, I just want to touch on wisdom. I think so often we act presumptuously on God's warnings. We, we act imp- with, with impulse. We just, we just respond without asking what the response should look like. And God has just been encouraging me, yes, he warns us. 
But to have wisdom and understanding and insight to know what to do with how he warns us and to know what to do, what that required response should look like. Because we can in our own strength and in our own wisdom and our own thinking respond. But is that the way that God requires of us? Action is required, but God is not calling us to presumption, assuming what is right in our own eyes. God is merciful. He gives us instruction on how we are to rule over sin. There are clear examples in the Bible of how to and how not to, even God providing a way for us to escape. He provides. And I think somebody was, I can't remember if it was Louis that brought the word earlier, and he just said, for, for our hearts to be responsive to God is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle to be able to experience the conviction of God because it means that God has softened your heart He has drawn near to you, and it's his goodness that is leading you towards him. It's his goodness that leads to repentance. we, We were going one way, and God starts working something in our hearts that he leads us. His goodness leads us to repentance, to go another way, to go towards him, to not follow our ways, not to be wise in our own eyes, but to follow him, to submit to him, to humble ourselves, and to trust in his wisdom and his understanding. If we are that person in the wilderness, <laughs> that person walking in the wild, and God is someone that understands and knows and has all wisdom and sees everything, he is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, If he says, watch out, maybe we should listen. Maybe he knows something that we don't. If sin is progressive, maybe God is merciful in warning us before it's something like killing our brother. Similarly to the way that God warned Cain, why is your face fallen? You know what you did was wrong. If you do well, won't you obtain favor with me? Cain's response. God, in his mercy, again approaches Cain and says to him, Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Cain's response hardens his heart, turns away from God, and goes to speak to his brother and lures him into the wilderness. And then he kills him. And Cain is a murderer. Because Cain did not rule over his sin. It progressed and ruled over him. With God's instruction, we do get to choose. God hasn't, he's not dominating or domineering. He gives us the world to choose. He gives us instruction. He knows how we hear He speaks to us as his children. He knows that temptation is personal, right? Like the things that tempt his own won't necessarily tempt me. The things that tempt any won't necessarily tempt me. So God is personal. He comes to warn each and every one of us about the things ahead that will cause me to stumble. Because our temptations are not the same. And God gives so many, so many, so many examples. I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 13. 
For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock and that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. So speaking to Christians, right? Like people that are followers of Christ, people that are followers of God. The brethren, God addressing the brethren. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and get up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you, are think, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Often, I, I, I love the scripture because so often people say that um, God won't overburden you with things that you're unable to carry beyond your ability to carry it. <laughs> That's not what the scripture says. It says he won't allow you to be tempted. There's a difference between suffering and temptation, right? There's a difference between carrying a burden and, carrying t- and, and being tempted. It's different. This scripture does not say that God won't allow suffering beyond what we can endure. The scriptures are quite clear that he requires of us to boast in our weakness because in our weakness his strength is made perfect. He encourages us to yoke with him, right? Because his burden is light. But 1 Corinthians 10 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. His advice, he gives us instruction. Don't do these things they did. When you are tempted, because you will be, I will provide a way out, God says. Take the way of escape. Take it. Even when his instructions seem seemingly senseless. (laughs) Even when you don't understand because you don't see the danger of it yet. God knows that this will lead to this, will ultimately lead to death and destruction. Rule over sin or it will rule over you. Um. I'm going to read again from 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 11. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, to the flock instructing elders there. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, elders and younger ones, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Here, God warning us of of pride. He's warning (laughs) Submit yourself, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then here, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How? Standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the truth that God has overcome sin. That he has already paid the price. That in him we have victory. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered suffered a little while. He will himself restore you. And make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And I had a, a few examples up there of, of how we tend to, to respond in our own strength or to our way, selfishly. And how God instructs us to respond. You can look at, you can look at those um, two slides just as, an exa- just as examples. But I'm not going to go um, into that too much or at all actually. Sin is active. Sin is not who we are, (laughs) but sin seeks to devour us. Sin seeks to identify with us. Sin seeks to shame us and cause us to identify with it. But in Genesis, when God speaks to Cain, he says, its desire is for you. Another translation says it, it's, it's not you. It's opposed to you. It's not who you are. But it is, for, it is wanting you. And I think in all this, it, it's easy to, be, to feel like, oh, okay, so I must rule over it. I must just stand firm in the faith. And I must just get enough um, power and, and understanding and I must just do all this in my own strength and in my flesh, I must just fight against my flesh and I must just resist it and I must just and I must just. Thankfully, God is merciful. Thankfully, he says that he is able to empathize with all our weakness because he's been tempted in all the ways that we've been tempted. There is nothing that he has not yet endured. Yet in all that, he knows that we are flesh. He knows that we are dust. He knows how he formed us. And he is merciful towards us. And just as a last example, Hebrews 12, from verse 1 to 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, fall, uh, at the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Um, and that discipline can be um, punishment for doing something wrong, but also instruction um, towards doing something right, like his warnings. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have, had all, um, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but pain, painful Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. The problem with us is we think that, that sin is not dangerous. And we take for granted the Lord's warning and we don't heed it. And we think that we can obtain mercy later. But tomorrow is not guaranteed. When God grants you repentance, when you experience conviction in your heart and God shows you the way out, take it in that moment. The longer you delay, the harder your heart tends to become. It's not God that moves away from us. It's us that lose awareness of his presence. And there are many things that distract us from the awareness of, of God. There are many things that, that harden our hearts towards God. And delayed obedience is one of them. Rule over sin. In Ecclesiastes and Mark 8... <clears throat> God gives another example of, of King Solomon that he says he tried everything under the sun. He tried everything. He gave himself to everything. He tried to obtain everything, wealth and property and woman and whatever, 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 lots of stuff. And in the end, he realized that there is nothing that is worth more than having a relationship with God. And I think Mark 8, verse 38 says the same. What does it profit a man? to gain the whole world but lose his soul. 
and I think it was Louis that said earlier, or somebody that brought a word earlier, that God allows discipline. He allows. He brings discipline. He allows suffering. He he allows us to 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 bend our knee before him, brings difficult circumstances because he wants relationship with us. And it's not because he's, he's um, um, malicious in the sense that, oh, I'm going to do everything so that I can obtain you. No. That picture in the wild, God knows what is good for us. He knows what is best for us. And he knows that temporary pleasure on this earth will lead to eternal destruction. A lack of repentance here can lead to eternal destruction. And his desire is for us to, to, to spend eternity with him. So will he allow suffering? Yes, it's temporary. In comparison to a life of eternity with him, temporary suffering is light affliction, right? The Bible says. His heart is for us. That picture, we think we are vigilant against sin. Similarly to this tourist, he thinks he's being vigilant. But we don't know what we don't know. And God encourages us and draws us and warns us and wants us to heed his warning. He wants us to be watchful, to be sober-minded, to act, to resist sin, to rule over it, to rebuke fear, to... There's so many actions required that God says, do this. But the most comforting in it is Romans 8 verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That it's not in our own strength that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. God encourages us that it's by the Spirit, by Him. He empowers us to put to death the works of the flesh and to embrace the works of the Spirit so that we may live. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com